Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from a very nice day in Fort Worth, Texas. We've been down below zero and now today we're going to be in the 70s, so uh, a beautiful day. Today, I welcome back to the show a prolific author on the subjects of psychology, spirituality. Um, He's also a poet, a college professor, and a blogger for uh, Psychology Today and um, Scientific American. Um, Steve Taylor lives in Manchester, England, and uh, today we're going to look at his... uh, I would say brilliant new book. It's called Extraordinary Awakenings When Trauma Leads to Transformation. So it's a real pleasure to welcome uh, Steve Taylor back to today's show. Glad you're with us. Yeah, great to be with you again, Paul. Yeah, nice to hear your voice again. And it's certainly a a joy to read the book, you know, um, and I uh, read it twice now, so it's it's uh, it's doubly good. I'm still it's still enjoying it. It's a it's a treasure oh, trove of information, and a lot of it is uh, sort of ironic, isn't it? Life is ironic. It, it life is uh, uh, counterintuitive, and it suffering uh, yeah. leads can lead to a breakthrough, right? It's uh, it's it sounds strange, and of course, you know the uh, religions have been speculating about why suffering. Why does God create suffering? But in some ways, suffering is the way to something greater, yeah? That's true, yeah. It, it seems as though that the darkest moments of our lives are the moments of greatest illumination. You know, it, it seems as though suffering has an incredible power to deepen us and to strengthen us. You know, we, without without suffering, you know, we, we don't really grow. You know, suffering is, a, is an incredible impetus for personal growth. So that you know the old uh, truism is uh, you know in in our extremity is God's opportunity, right? If you want to anthropomorphize it a little bit, but but it, it is, so. it's a breaking open, isn't it? It's a breaking beyond the um, what the conditioned self, if you like, um, into something yeah. a little more expansive. Is that partly what what suffering's about, right? We're we're shaken awake almost. That's right. I think when our lives are running smoothly and, and comfortably, I mean, that's nice. You know, that that's that can also be, you know, um, an opportunity for us to explore our creativity and to, you know, achieve our potential. But the, the moments of greatest growth occur when the smooth surface of our lives are disrupted and things are thrown into disarray. 
that's when we have to really go deep inside ourselves to uncover resilience and and you know our deepest spirituality and i think the greatest growth occurs when you know when when the shell of the ego is broken open you know when the, when the ego is strong it can it can help us to function well in the world it can help us to feel confident uh, to feel good about ourselves but it also stops us gaining access to uh, to our deepest spiritual um you know uh, layers <clears throat> so when the when the when suffering breaks down the ego when a long period of turmoil you know sort of breaks down the structures of the ego then you know the ego breaks down but also in the process of breaking down we shift up we uncover something deeper inside ourselves you know and that that's when we really realize our potential so this book is not just uh, philosophizing is it it's it's a study right you've done in-depth study in the in this field and uh, you use a couple of acronyms you know ptg post-traumatic growth um, and look at what that means and then um, what is it ttt transformation through through turmoil uh, but the common denominator there is is difficulty right moving through what we're talking about um there's two kinds of extraordinary mm. here right yeah there's the extraordinary circumstances and also extraordinary awareness. So tell us, tell us a little bit of the difference between those two. Yeah, the the extraordinary circumstances are, you know, the paradoxical situations which give rise to spiritual transformation. So, for example, I found a lot of examples of prisoners. I interviewed quite a few prisoners who'd undergone spiritual awakening in the midst of the, you know, the turbulence of the prison prison environment, and in the midst of the hopelessness of, you know, of, you know having nothing but a future in prison in front of you, uh, you know, prisoners who were, who had very long-term sentences. I also spoke to soldiers who'd undergone spiritual awakening on the battlefield, you know, when they were facing death on the battlefield and also people who had been through many years of addiction, many years of depression, people who were diagnosed with cancer. So, the, you know, many, 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 many situations of intense difficulty which could give rise to this extraordinary transformation. So that's one reason. That's why it's so extraordinary. It seems so extraordinary that these moments of intense suffering can give rise to this amazing transformation. But, you know, the, the transformation itself is so radical and dramatic that, it, that it's almost as if people become, it's almost as if they're a different person living in the same body. In fact, some some people actually described it in those terms that, you know, there's some one woman actually after her transformation, she looked in the mirror and she didn't recognize herself because she felt so different. She felt like she was mm. not the person in the mirror because she felt felt like she was a completely different person. Now, before we go on, and I, I, I'm I'm fine with suffering and trauma and all this stuff. But for our listeners, um, it, we don't have to suffer sometimes, do we, to have extraordinary awakenings, right? It can happen, and it's happened for me in the most ordinary of circumstances sometimes, right? Yeah. When I'm least expecting it, um, I'll be transported to, you know, a greater awareness, and it comes out of the blue. So it it doesn't have to be traumatic. I mean, and I'm not to, no. I'm not to, trying to defeat what you're talking about because I agree with it, but um, yeah. but just so we can round this out, there there are ways to to awaken, you know, in yeah. in a pleasant way, if you like. 
That's right. I, w- I wouldn't want people to think that the only way to undergo spiritual development is through suffering, because that's not the case. It's just it's just one particular way. There are other ways. I get a lot of right. um, spiritual experiences through being in nature, even through yeah. playing sports, you know, in, or even through playing with my kids. So it's not the case that it's the only route, but it, it is one route. And I think a lot of people experience this route because human life is, you know, there is suffering in human life. I watched a, a little uh, video on BBC News the other day, and it was about uh, an army veteran, I think, a Welsh guy, and um, he had, he was in, in, suffering from PTSD. And, um, and I'm not saying this is an extraordinary awakening, but it's it was an extraordinary way of uh, effectively dealing with his difficulty and trauma. He started building a castle, and... Um, He's, you know, he spent years on this and doing it all by hand, carrying the stones, whatnot. And uh, and now, you know, the place is used for meditations or for therapy or just for people to come and, you know, relax on in, on this mountaintop where, it, where this castle is. And uh, yeah. I thought that was quite remarkable. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but... Uh, I've not heard about that. I've heard similar stories. I, mean, I, th- I think, um, you know, obviously army vets encounter a lot of ptsd yeah and but 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 ptsd can lead to post-traumatic growth you know so i think it is you know stories like that are quite common i spoke to a guy who'd been in the falklands war uh, which was a war between england and argentina well britain and argentina in the 1980s and he was just a young kid when he was sent off to fight and he was just paralyzed with fear before the first battle that he had to fight in he was just shaking with fear and it was the first time he'd really been aware of death and he was terrified at the, at the idea that he might die. And he was, you know, he was thinking about, shall I just pretend I'm dead? Shall I just feign injury? Shall I just run away? But then he realized that he had no choice. He had to just accept the situation. So he thought, well, that's it. I'm just going to let go. I'm going to accept the situation. And suddenly he felt this amazing sense of liberation. And he didn't care whether he, whether he died. He felt somehow he was outside his body and he was part of the scenery. And... That moment of liberation always stayed with him. So even though he suffered PTSD after the war for many years, right. you know, he was drawn back to meditation as a result of it. And he, he sort of gave up control, didn't he? The idea that he could control this crazy situation. He realized he couldn't and sort of let go at that moment. And, and you know, it seems like when we can do that, there's a rush of something um a, cap- a rush of capability that comes to us somehow. I'm not sure how that works, but, um, you know, it's yeah, jumping it's, off it's the cliff syndrome, isn't it? Yeah, and there's, you grow wings kind of thing, you know, that you at least yeah. expect. Yeah, it's a lot to do with acceptance. I found that a right. lot of the transformations in the book occurred in a moment of letting go, a moment of surrender, a moment of acceptance. So that is a very, when once you accept your situation fully and surrender to the danger whatever it may be, then it has an almost alchemical power to to unleash, you know, the transformational potential inside you. There was one uh, story that you tell, I think it was a person in Iraq and um, in the war zone. And at one point they were, you know, overwhelmed in this firefight. But then there was this sense of rising beyond themselves, you know, and they were able to see from different angles, almost as if they were, uh, having an out-of-body experience, and, and time seemed to slow down for them, right? 
and and mm. that they could they they could have a greater view. In other words, they weren't just limited to this traumatized body. Um, there was something that was working for them, if you like. So you know, we could call it spirit, if we like, or whatever. But there was there was a larger sense of self happening. Yeah, a lot of people talked about similar experiences. You know, I think I think spiritual experiences in general. You know, they often involve a transcendence of separation. I think normally our human experience is that we we are part of our bodies. We live inside our bodies. Our consciousness seems to be inside our bodies. We're looking out at the world from behind our eyes. But in these experiences, that sense of separation or duality fades away. And on the one hand, we feel part of our surroundings. And at the same time, our identity seems to expand out of our bodies and into our surroundings. So it's as if we do become part of something much bigger than ourselves. And I, yes. I would say we become part of, of, of spirit. I would say that our, our individual spirit becomes part of universal spirit. Which, of course, we are in truth already, right? It's just we've compartmentalized, compartmentalized ourselves into you know, our identity, our role or whatever, uh, which isn't necessarily the truth of who we are, right? So... When we're in those traumatic places, we're we're jettisoned beyond the the sort of the false construct, if you like, of of who we've become accustomed to being, right? That's right. Yeah, I would compare it to a wave on the ocean. Imagine a wave on the ocean who's fallen into the delusion that he's a separate being. He thinks that he's a wave, and he's got his own independent existence as a wave. Right. He's forgotten right. he's part of the ocean. But in yeah. these moments, we realize that we are part of the ocean. We are the ocean. We can't separate right. ourselves from the ocean. So we, we transcend the, the illusion of separateness and, and autonomy. And the good news is we, you know, we have the power of the ocean moving through us. You know, and, and that's an incredible yeah. power. So we haven't given anything up, really. We've given up a false identification, but we've gained everything. You know, and and uh, once we understand that, you know, we don't necessarily want to go back to the, no. the silly illusion that we think we were, right? You know, why yeah. would you swap that? Yeah. I think I think that's a good way of describing the transformation that people go through in my book. They they realize that they are not a wave, you know, they they realize that they are the ocean or they are part of the ocean. And right. in a sense that they give up their identity, but they gain a truer and deeper identity. So it's as if they give up this superficial ego identity and in return they gain this deeper, more expansive identity. You talk about prisoners too um, and, you know, how that can be a, a spiritual place to be even though it sounds horrific, you know, being um, incarcerated, especially over long periods of time. Um, and, of course, in the Middle Ages, right, monks used to, um, brick themselves up into tiny rooms, you know, where they would not see the light of day for years and would be meditating and somebody would bring them some food each day. Um, mm. But, you know, for many of us, the idea of being cooped up, especially if we like nature and being out on the in the open spaces, I, I, have a, I have a fear of supermax prisons. You know, when you hear these descriptions of supermax prisons, especially in the in the United States, where you know they don't let them out, you know, basically except for I think half an hour a day and walk in a, a courtyard. Mm. They never see anybody else. The the whole place is concrete. There's nothing that they can move in their room, and uh, it's just artificial light. And you know, I I think that would be a form mm. of hell. But is it? I guess it's possible to 
you know, have a spiritual life or have a meaningful life, even in that constricted environment? I don't know. That would be tough. I think so. I mean, in fact, one of the people, yeah, well, I think one of the people in my book, Ed, he's lived in, in that kind of environment for 40 years now. And right. he's, he underwent the spiritual awakening after several years in prison. And it is quite common. Most of the prisons I spoke to were, were in the UK, where the, where the prison environment is probably not as uh, severe. But still, you know, if you're living in an atmosphere of turbulence where you have no freedom, it seems, you know, it seems unlikely that you would undergo spiritual awakening. But if you think about it, there are certain aspects of prison which lend themselves to spiritual awakening. One thing is that if you, you know, if you, if you have nothing outside you if, or if there is turbulence outside you, you have to go inside because that's the only place where you can go to find happiness or well-being. So a lot of prisoners, right. they sort of turn inside themselves and begin to explore themselves in a way that they, they've never done before. And they find something inside themselves. They find a, a kind of richness and a contentment inside themselves. And the other thing about prison is that it, invo it involves letting go. You, let, you have to let go of your identity because everything which defines you as a person is actually outside the prison. You know, all of your possessions, all of your relationships, all of your roles and ambitions and so on. It's all out there on the other side of the wall. So you have to let go. And that's, that's a painful experience for many people, obviously. But for some people, in the process of letting go, they uncover something deeper inside themselves. You know, they, they have to sort of allow their egos to dissolve. And in the process, they uncover this latent spiritual self inside them. I think it was Viktor Frankl, you know, because he had experience in the concentration camps, right? And uh, he, he he created uh, logotherapy or whatever, and, you know, that beautiful book, mm. Man's Search for Meaning. And, um, you know, he said the people who lost all meaning, you know, that life was just hopeless in this place, were the ones that succumbed the most easily, you know, to, to the trauma, to the sadness of what, of, and, and often died. Whereas yeah. those that hung on to some sense of meaning, and it didn't have to be in a grandiose way, it could be some little thing that gave them, you know, meaning. That seeing a bird, you know, moving around or whatever, or having a crust mm -hmm. of bread in their pocket, something simple, but but it gave them a, a will to live, if you like. So um, yeah. that's true, I think, isn't it? There's the sense of um, a deeper sense of, of order and meaning, right? Uh, over and above the chaos of the, in this case, the concentration camp. That's right. And also I think a lot of people discover in those terrible situations, how strong they really are. Some people have broken down quite quickly and easily, but a lot of people find a resilience inside them, which enables them to cope with situations, no matter how terrible they are. I did some right. research on people who were in the in the Soviet gulags in the 1950s and 60s, um, and they were they were living in really appalling situations, probably not too dissimilar to the concentration camps. They were living in like minus 30 degrees, a, a terrible diet. They were treated brutally by the prison guards, and you know, a lot of them were you know were close to starvation. You know they were they were extremely ill, but a lot of people reported how in the midst of this terrible deprivation they would feel this kind of strange, powerful soul energy. In fact, somebody was, somebody called it soul force or soul radiance, that in the midst of this terrible suffering, that this kind of inner light or inner radiance would be switched on and it would fill them with energy. 
it would somehow enable them to to overcome illness and starvation. It's almost as if it's some sort of supernatural strength which emerges when we're when we're close to to death. That was how they described it. And but similarly, you know, you know, you've probably heard about the the cities in Indian philosophy. These kind of psychic or supernatural powers which emerge inside human beings, uh, or which we you know are hidden deep inside us. It was almost as if they spontaneously gained access to these supernatural powers, uh, and these kept them alive. Interesting. And you know, there's no time or space to this stuff, right? And we're moving into beyond linear reality, and so it can happen suddenly in a, you know, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, right? It, it, it's it's there. I think that's another aspect of these openings, right? They don't. It's not a step by step progress. It's it's a sudden. Mm. Or can be a sudden uh, epiphany, if you like. That's right. It can be gradual. Um, for example, right. I spoke to a lot of people who'd undergone transformation after bereavement, and for some people, it was a gradual process of of getting used to the bereavement, acknowledging the situation, and accepting the loss of their loved one. So it it can be gradual, but in other people, it just it did, as you say, it just happened in a sudden moment, in a sudden unexpected moment. Um, often, you know, uh, when they least expected it or when they when they were at their most, you know, the most sort of broken moment, the moment, the moment of deepest loss and desolation. And yeah, it, so it, it could occur in both ways, both gradually and suddenly and dramatically. You know, in Britain, when I grew up, of course, and you, you live there today. Um, there's many places where you can go, you know, they say if you spend a night there, you know, they're usually like old med, um, Neolithic chambers or caves or strange mystical places. And, and if you spend the night there, you, you'll either end up mad, dead or, or some kind of visionary poet. Right. I mean, that's that's the uh, <laughs> that's what they offer. But I, I think that could be transposed to what we're talking about, too, you know. You can go mad, you know, because the the circumstances are overwhelming, uh, and some people just give up and die. But there's others that can have this breakthrough, right? And and that's what we're we're talking about. Uh, hopefully, we don't die, we don't go mad. Um, but uh, but that those are very real, uh, you know, ways that we can approach this if if we're if we're not careful, right? Um, yeah. it's, it's it's dangerous stuff in a way. It is. So some people I spoke to did go through a period of, I wouldn't say it was madness, but it was kind of instability. Periods mm. when they felt disorientated, uh, weren't really sure what had happened to them. And, you know, so especially if they didn't have any background in spirituality, they, they think, wow, what, what, why do I feel so different? You know, why does the yeah. world seem like a different place? And of course, they try to explain it to people around them. And they, they, the, their friends would say, have you been taking drugs or have you gone crazy? So the people yeah. around them would would think that they were crazy. So inevitably, they start to think they were crazy too. There was actually one guy who underwent who underwent a transformation when he was in prison in Africa. He didn't know what happened to him. He had no background in spirituality. He just knew that he felt different and everything. The world seemed like a different place, and he felt great, but he felt a bit confused as well. So he actually got hold of a book of psychiatric disorders, you know, a textbook of psychiatric disorders. And he started to look for his condition. He thought, am I schizophrenic? Am I bipolar? But he couldn't find any that fitted his symptoms. So then he thought, well, maybe I'm not crazy after all. And shortly afterwards, he found a book about spirituality. He thought, ah, 
this is what's happened to me. I'm not crazy after all. You know, I've had a spiritual awakening. Uh-huh. But you, you need you need to have that framework to make sense of what's happened to you. Otherwise, you, you can feel confused. Right. Yes. I think that's true of bereavement, too. Right. You've got a, a section talking about that as well. And, you know, I know that, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with the, you know, the five st- stages of working through grief. And, and it, you know, in latter times, it said, well, they're not necessarily linear like that. Um, they, you know, mm. they happen uh, simultaneously, but I, I think it's a helpful framework, you know, for people to look at the the stages that, that we go through. Because, you know, there is a tendency to think I'm going mad or I'm, I'm uh, you know, life's yeah. never going to be the same again when, you, when you're going through those uh, grieving moments. And nobody grieves the same, right? And I, this is probably true of any of these ways of mm. dealing with trauma. Mm. You know, there's commonalities but each person experiences it uniquely. That's right. Depending on their personality, depending on their background. But mo- right. most people do, well, everybody who I spoke to, you know, even if they feel unstable for, for a certain number of time, for a certain number of years, it always settles down eventually. You know, even if it takes years, people do go through this process of integration and understanding. And eventually the transformation becomes integrated into their personality and they, you know, they, they live their lives from this, the standpoint of a higher awareness. Talk briefly about suicide, because that is a, such a tough subject and um, difficult to talk about for many people. Um, you know, how do we approach that, do you think? Well, um, I found, again, very paradoxically, that some of the people I spoke to underwent transformation after seriously contemplating suicide or even after making a suicide attempt. Right. Um, I think there's something about suicide that it's, it's, it's a giving up. Obviously, you know, when you reach the point of contemplating suicide, you've given up, you know, you've given up hope and in a strange way, you've sort of surrendered, you've let go. And that's why I think there is, there is sometimes a link between suicide and transformation. There's one guy I spoke to, he actually attempted suicide by jumping off the golden gate bridge and he said that he realized straight away within a second that he'd made a giant mistake, that all of his, yeah. all of his problems were fixable. There was no reason right. for him to do this. And luckily, he survived. He was one of the few people who survived jumping off, jumping off the bridge. So after yeah. that, you know, he was living his life from a different perspective. Wow. That, that's dramatic, isn't it? Because, yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty high up. But, you know, you fall from there. You know, you know, not many people survive from that. So, yeah, what a yeah. gift. Mm-hmm. Folks, I'm with uh, Steve Taylor, and we're talking about his really fascinating book. It's called Extraordinary Awakenings, When Trauma Leads to Transformation. covers uh, many areas of difficulty that we may face and, and shows the way through to this awakening that is quite transformative. Um, let's take a break. We'll listen to these messages from Unity, and then we'll be right back. Join us in a couple of minutes.
Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So welcome back to today's show. I'm with Steve Taylor and we're talking about his book, Extraordinary Awakenings, When Trauma Leads to Transformation. And the idea of extreme situations can sometimes force us, often unwillingly, but it definitely uh, leads to a letting go, a surrender, a, an opportunity of becoming a larger being because we're giving uh, less attention to the construct that we think we are and 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 maybe becoming something that we are in truth um as as the analogy that we used earlier you know we become the ocean instead of being fixated with having to be a wave and um yeah we ha- we have the the flavor of waves or whatever but uh, and the joy of a wave but we got to remember that we are larger than that and sometimes um trauma can help us uh move in, in that direction this book is fascinating in that regard because it's full of um, stories uh, of, of folks who have gone through this transform- transformative process, uh, you know, whether it be uh, from all the way from uh, veterans and soldiers uh, to criminals, to the bereaved, uh, to addicts, uh, etc. Um, addiction is another um, craving, isn't it? We have a craving for something. We, th- we believe that that particular substance um, will free us, right? And, and of course, mm. it doesn't usually. No, I think many addicts are kind of they, they have an impulse for transcendence. They have an impulse to you know um, join with to, um, to make connection with something higher and deeper mm-hmm. and bigger, but they're going to misdirect that, or, or they feel frustrated because they can't gain access to it. It's a kind of a lot of addiction is rooted in a kind of spiritual frustration or a spiritual depression. I think. Right. So, you know, and, 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 and in a strange way, addiction can lead you can lead you to that place. You know, I think particularly when it's severe and prolonged, addiction can slowly break down your ego. It can slowly, you know, break down your attachments. All of the attachments which sustain the ego are slowly broken down. Your your attachment to your ambitions, to your status, to your role. Your relationships break down. You you lose your ambitions. You lose your hope. And eventually, you lose everything, and you may reach the point where you feel as though there's nowhere else to go. You feel like you're you're hitting rock bottom. But that can be the point when transformation occurs, because when your ego is broken down, that's when there is a, a possibility of a a latent spiritually awakened self emerging inside you. I think a lot of people have a, a kind of latent spiritually awakened self which you know is obscured by the ego so when the ego breaks down that spiritually awakened self naturally arises 
like a phoenix from the ashes of the ego. Right, exactly. I, I often think, you know, that, that my worst habits, uh, you know, um, are often my greatest lessons, you know, the, that I, it, the dark side within me, the shadow self that often I don't want to look at, right, because it's too embarrassing or it's, it's yucky or messy. Um, if I can look at it honestly, it actually yields the greatest breakthrough, the greatest joy. So it's that latent tendency within that thing, right? Even though I, I may have labeled it really unsavory, unsatisfactory in my life, that, that's what uh, propels me forward in a way. If I can be that honest, right, and, and, and that uh, fearless to look at it, um, mm. I think that's true. That's true with addicts too. You know, we 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 uh, we're often called in unity the the thirteenth step. You know, is unity because for twelve step people in uh, going through um, uh, you know sobriety, uh, unity makes a lot of sense. And um, mm. so yeah, it, it's all part of that that spiritual journey, if you like. Yeah, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson, he had a. A, a massive spiritual awakening when he thought he when he thought he was going to die, just given up trying to stop drinking. You know, he was totally broken down mentally and physically, and that was when you know he felt this amazing sense of liberation. The whole world seemed to be filled with translucent white light, and he knew he was you know he was connected to something divine. He knew there was something divine inside him, and he became free of craving at that moment and never drank again. Right. So I think yeah. the whole of the AA process was founded on. You know, it was a kind of like a an exposition of his own spiritual awakening, and was an attempt to recreate that spiritual awakening in, in other people to to sort Absolutely. of form a, a developmental process which could replicate that spiritual awakening in other people in other people. And uh, yeah, and, and I don't think it's, it isn't common. You know, I, like I say, I interviewed quite a lot of addicts who'd undergone spiritual awakening when they were at rock bottom. Let's talk about your four step process in responding to challenges um, because I thought I found that quite interesting. Um, and the first one, uh, I had another British guy on recently named Peter Russell. And, uh, oh, yeah, I know, great, I know Peter. Great, right. You might know him. And, and he talked about, you know, before you can let go, you have to let it in. And, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, some of us don't do that. We want to just get rid of it. And, and I think you have the same idea here with number one is acknowledging your predicament, right? Unless you have that self-honesty of, of being able to face it and look at it, you can't really let it go, right? And so that's that's a huge first step in this process. That's right. I was thinking about why some people undergo transformation, whereas others don't. Because, you know, all human beings go through suffering and trauma. But not everybody, probably only only a small minority of people go through this transformation we're talking about. And I found that one of the reasons why some people go through this transformation is because they they are courageous or honest, honest enough to face up to their situations. It's such a, you know, I, I actually call it the avoidance impulse, that when you face difficult situations, it's an instinct to look elsewhere, to divi- divert yourself. Just the same as if you have a pain in your body. You want to cover up the pain. You want to escape the pain. So it's the same on a psychological level. When we when we experience suffering, we want to divert ourselves. We want to get as far as as far away as we can from the situation. But transformation is only possible if we actually 
acknowledge the reality of the situation and you know look square look at it squarely in the face rather than trying to escape it and then your second step is um you know as part of that acknowledgement is um you know look at your your thoughts and feelings right even the ugly negative ones that that's that's important as well it's all part of this process of integration if you like not not denial but uh understanding what what's going on for you you know looking at your warts again i guess which is what i was referring to earlier you know some of the bits that we might not want to look mm. at but actually could be quite illuminating that's right it's acknowledging you know on the one hand we need to acknowledge the situation and on the other hand we need to acknowledge the feelings and thoughts with which the situation um you know um generates inside us so for example if you let's say i mean one of the most painful situations is is bereavement it's very difficult to face up to the reality of the situation when you lose a loved one yes but you know you have to look at the situation um directly and acknowledge the reality of it that you've lost a person you won't see them again at least in this form and your life is going to be completely different and at the same time you need to look inward and acknowledge the the pain that you feel it's a bit like um you know physical pain we have this instinct to avoid physical pain but paradoxically maybe the best way to deal with physical pain is not to avoid it but is to actually go towards it i I've, my wife has migraines and when she has a migraine we go through this process where she i guide her towards the source of the pain so that she kind of meets the pain inside her and as she meets the pain it sort of dissolves it dissipates and it becomes softer and number so she sort of becomes she becomes one with the pain and as a result it begins to fade away and that's the same you know with psychological pain as well that's interesting because I, i i haven't had it for years thank you god uh, but i used to have terrible neuralgia and uh, which again is a very painful condition and uh, you know if i if i could uh, look at it and, and like you said integrate it um quickly before it took over you know i could often get rid of it um it, the minute mm. i saw it as an enemy you know they had to resist then it it kind of fed on my fear if you like and and yeah. i knew I, i had a bad case of it you know but but there is right. something to that you know when you can go into it and it becomes you become i don't want to be uh, sort of silly about it become one with it but there is that sense of um you know making a friend out of it rather than seeing it as something i i got to avoid and uh, yeah essentially exactly. it's just dissipated completely and i haven't had it in in years now so um, oh, wow. but yeah it's quite interesting how that that happens so the third yeah. the third step is is um what exploring your inner being right is that the the third once once you once you've honestly right. looked looked at yourself then you can begin to see that maybe what there's something more here something more going on yeah this came from my my interviews with prisoners because i found that as i said before a lot of prisoners begin to explore themselves because there's really nothing else to do if you're in a, a situation where there's a lot of turbulence you know that you can't find anything outside you and you have to go inside you have to sort of turn your attention into your own being Uh, so a lot of prisoners begin to explore their own being in a way that they've never done before and that's the beginning of transformation for them so i think in a similar way you know 
I think a lot of human beings find it difficult to to go inside themselves because we live, we habitually live outside ourselves. We're surrounded by constant distractions, constant activity. We're not really used to turning away from the external world and going into ourselves. But I found that transformation can only really occur if you're willing to go inside yourself and to really dive deeply into your own inner being. And when you do that, you realize that these feelings that you have or these thoughts that you have, that you have they're not your essential self. There's a, there's a kind of witnessing or observing self inside you, which is deeper than your thoughts and feelings. So once you feel this distance between your thoughts and feelings, then they no longer affect you as much. You realize that, hey, you know, I don't have to believe these thoughts. You know, or I don't have to feel this pain. I have some choice about it. So there's this space that opens up inside you. And once you have that space, then, you know, then then you are free to some extent of your of your thoughts and feelings. I was um, years and years ago, I, I was on a hill outside of Bombay in India uh, at sunset looking out over the Arabian Sea. And uh, I run out of money. It was when I in my 20s and I hitchhiked to India and. I'd run out of money. Um, a friend I was with had left, and I was just alone in, the, in a strange land, uh, with you know, feeling a little bit precarious. But but then suddenly I just felt a sense of rightness of, of all was well, and 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 mm. I, I actually it's one of the most tr- transcendent feelings I've had. Uh, it, it was like everything's going to be taken care of, but I. I had no logical mm-hmm. reason to say that, right? But but by the inner self, whatever it might be, was was just um, comforting me, and and it felt wonderful actually. And yeah. uh, everything else, you know, and things worked out after after that quite well. So it wasn't it was true, um, uh, but but a, a remarkable experience for me, you know, yeah. to, just to relax in, in that. And and sometimes it's when you're at the you know edge of something, right? That mm. the these things open up for you. Yeah. I had a similar experience when I was in my 20s. I was probably 25 or 26. Uh-huh. And at that time, I was a musician. And I was living a kind of typical musician's life of like hedonism and drinking and smoking and staying up late and socializing. But I wasn't happy. I knew it wasn't really what I was meant to be doing. And so I, I got really frustrated and depressed. And one night, um, about four o'clock in the morning, I woke up. And I just, I felt suddenly engulfed by this amazing feeling of peace and harmony. And I was sort of outside my body and floating. I felt like I was floating on this ocean of bliss. And I knew that everything was perfect. There was nothing to worry about. Everything was just fine the way it was. And and it was just that this, I felt this amazing sense of relief and reassurance and peacefulness. And it was still inside me the next day and for the next few days. And it was, it was like sort of a reminder of the, the truth of things and, it was calling right. me back to my spiritual nature. So after that, you know, everything became, uh, everything began to fall into place. Interesting. A very similar experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So we, we have an opening to that and then we can move to, in, in your process, you know, the, 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 the fourth step is acceptance, right? There's that sense of, like you said, all, all is going to be well, you know, that the, uh, there's an assurance that, that you know, and you may not know how exactly, um, but that's mm. not really important, it seems. It's just a, 
acceptance that you know I'm in I'm in my right place. Um, that uh, there's there's something you know that's larger than just my humanness, right? Yeah, is the feeling that there's nothing to worry about because everything is in harmony. Everything has a sense of right. natural rightness. You know, there's, there's nothing to worry about. All the kind of trivial everyday problems that we have, they're not really important. They they mean nothing because essentially everything is in harmony. That was the feeling I got, and it's the feeling I, I still have now. You know, there is a there is a rightness about things. There's a there's a benevolence to the world. There's a harmony in being alive. So there's really, you know, we have to deal with things. We have to deal with situations, but ultimately, there's there's nothing to worry about. And I, again, I want to point out to our listeners that you know some people don't like the word acceptance. It sounds too passive. You know, I'm let go, and now I'm accepting whatever it is. But it seems to me, and, and and you can corroborate this, I'm sure this this acceptance is is definitely not passive. It's it's um it's it's a, it's it's a welcome to a safe, like you say, benevolent universe, right? It's you have you have energies moving in and through you that uh, you know <clears throat> extremely powerful, and and there's there's nothing passive about those. The it, it it's it's a wonderful place to be, in other words. Definitely. It's a it's a letting go of resistance. Now, acceptance isn't really something that we do. You know, we, we stop resisting. That's what it is. It's so foolish to resist things that we can't do anything about. It's so foolish to resist the reality of our lives. And when, when we stop doing that, you know, suddenly we feel this sense of oneness. You know, if you resist something, you create conflict. And there's a duality between you and the reality of your life. But if you accept it, if you open yourself to it, you become part of it. You become one with a larger reality. You become one with reality, you know, because you because you're no, you're no longer resisting it. So I mean, you know, people often say, well, what about situations that we need to change? You know, what if your what if your you know, relative is a, a drug addict, you know, or is depressed? Should you accept that? What if you live in an area where there's a lot of crime, and should you accept that? But yeah, I don't think it means a passive acceptance of negative situations. I think once you accept the reality of a situation, then you, in some ways, you have the power to change it. So in some ways, that is the beginning of change. But if you resist the reality of a situation, then you don't know, you know, that, that stops you changing it because you're not acknowledging it. First, you need to acknowledge and accept it. And then you can sense what needs to be changed. And then you can begin the process of, of changing so you know you're right it's not a, a passive phenomenon it's uh, it's an active phenomenon i often muse about what makes certain people um you know stars or famous or whatever you know i was thinking about the the beatles recently because there was that new movie that came out you know which followed their sessions in the um, studio oh yeah uh, pr prior to their last uh, you know concert on the roof or whatnot and uh, my wife kindly gave me uh, Paul McCartney's um, lyrics book for Christmas. And so I've been thinking about, you know, their, their lives. Oh, yeah. And um, there, there's something true in as to what we're talking about. You know, in I was thinking about Paul McCartney particularly. Um, is the acceptance of uh, the availability of, of creativity, you know. And you, you get to watch the creation of certain songs like Get Back on, on in the video. 
and uh, out of nothing, literally out of nothing, and it starts drumming it, and within a few minutes, you know, the basic uh, chords and, and sound of the song are there. And um, it, it's it's a mm. wonderful thing, but you, you see, it's coming out of the out of the ethers, you know, out of the apparent nothingness. But but the, 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 he was allowed. Yeah, it's not forcing it. It's... Yeah, uh, and that was yeah, a remarkable thing that to process. watch. Yeah, it was interesting to watch that process because I think it's the same process that we all can go through, you know, in this uh, awakening and, and and acceptance. It's it's not limited to Paul. We may not be a world famous, you know, musician, but but we are world famous in our own light, right? In our <laughs> to to the universal yeah. truth, uh, we, we are we are uh, as important as anyone else. So, um, and we certainly have the same ocean moving in and through us as everybody else does. So, it's a remarkable thing. Yeah, and funny enough, if you th- if you think about the the song "Let It Be." And that, right. that's a, it's a great kind of spiritual, you know, s- spiritual phrase. Let it be. Just accept the situation. Just don't try and change it. Just accept it as it is. So maybe that's what they were doing in their creative process. You know, just right. uh, trusting in the process and being one with the process. And you know, I think I, I often think that in my own life that when I try to make things happen. And they don't work out. But when I just sort of let go and just think, oh, it doesn't really matter. If it happens, it'll happen. That's when good things do happen. You know, when you stop trying and when you, you trust in the in the universe. You have um, a number of characteristics, right, of wakefulness, of, of waking up to this these truths that we're talking about that I, that I found quite interesting. And, you, you know, you move through the various aspects of the way we um, you know, the cognitive ways we look at things, um, perceptual and effective, uh, conceptual, behavioral, whatever. Um, but but uh, it just makes me feel peaceful reading some of these qualities, you know, um, you know an awareness of presence, uh, um, inner quietness, um, a, a lack of group identity, getting beyond tribal sense, um, a wider perspective, um, uh, altruism, non-materialism. Uh, there's there's quite a few here, uh, but it's it's all about an enhanced sense of who we are, right? And and it's it's restful. Um, it's it's like there's no push to make this happen. It's just natural, you know. And a lot of the world teachers talk about that, you know, getting back to the natural state, right? Which is the state mm. that, that before we start cluttering it up with all with all our stories about who we think we are exactly yeah you could say it's about letting go of attachments which is also true of the the transformations in my book once you let go of your attachments then you you connect with your essential self you rejoin your essential self so all of our attachments they may make us feel stronger they may make they may give us a, a defined sense of identity that helps us to cope in the world but they also obscure our true self you know, they clutter up our inner being. And that's why, you know, I often say that children, I wouldn't say that children are spiritually awakened. I wouldn't say they're enlightened because children can be extremely narcissistic. But there are certain qualities about children which are the same as spiritual awakening. And one of them is that kind of openness of being, that freedom from attachments that allows children to just be and allows them to participate so freely and easily in their experience. 
So it's a bit like returning to that state, regaining that openness and that expansive sense of identity. Well, they have that honesty, don't they? They're, they're, they're willing to state the obvious sometimes that there's, you know, uh, grown-ups don't want to don't want to look at, and uh, they're they're also very present. It seems to me to to what is right. They're they're in the moment, and uh, yeah, both honest honesty and being present are, I think, hallmarks of of wakefulness, right, of awakening. That's right, and also an amazing, intense perception of reality. You know, the children's vision of the world is so much more intense than adults. The world is such an incredibly real and exciting and exhilarating place. Everything's like hyper real to children because they're not right. perceiving the world through concepts. They're not perceiving right. it through labels. They just have this fresh and direct perception. So that's yeah. that's something that we recover in spiritual awakening as well. Unless you become as little children as uh, Jesus said, right? You know. Talk, talking yeah. about a profound truth I think that's there, what he meant. And it, yeah. it, in Taoism, yeah. the ideal is to become like a child, both mentally and physically. <clears throat> so all the kind right. of the exercises of Taoism are about uh, regaining that softness and suppleness of children, both mentally and physically. Absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, let me tell folks about next week, and then we'll have a final word from Steve, a word of encouragement. Um, next week, uh, Luke Blue Eagle will join me, and he's going to talk about uh, First Nations crystal healing, uh, working with the uh, the teachers of the Mineral Kingdom. So that'll be a totally different show, but it should be quite interesting, I think. And by the way, my book is now on pre-order. It should be out in a couple of weeks. So uh, it's called Unity and World Religions. Uh, get hold of that. Um, you can go to my website, pauljohnroach.com, or go to unity.org, and uh, you'll find the pre-order there. And i um, really excited about it coming out. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. But now, um, final word from Steve. What, what, what advice would you give us to move through this next week? I would remind people that they are probably much stronger than they realize i think there is this amazing resilience hidden inside human beings which we don't normally have access to we don't even know it's there but waiting inside us are these amazing reserves of resilience which will rise up and help us to cope with any difficult situation so don't underestimate yourself because you're much stronger than you suspect Oh, I love it. Thank you. That's a great way to end our show. Again, thank you so much, Steve, for being on uh, World Spirituality. Uh, really, always a joy. So thanks very much. Thank you, Paul. Great to be with you again. And thanks for listening, folks. Have a wonderful week. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. 
Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 